Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Freedom International live stream. First, I'd like to give thanks that we are gathered together because in this current, this crazy times, it's a precious opportunity that we can gather, have a powerful conversation. Well, you know, amongst um, our like-minded friends. And of course, we invite those who are still questioning a lot of things nowadays. And, uh, what I'm most excited is also we're coming from different countries, different podcasts, different backgrounds. So imagine that. We're, let me just say that we, you didn't assign us to represent you, but we'd like to say that we, we will speak for you, with you. And so some of the questions from, especially like from Jay Onofre, who is in Tribe Tribes Global, he has, she has questions already from her tribe. So let me introduce the people who are with me before our most distinguished guest, Professor Dolores Cahill. And I have Roy, from Awakening Podcast, all the way in Poland, but he's originally from Ireland. So, hi, hey, folks. So, he represents two countries. And I have Hartmut Schumacher from Germany and with his Go Your Own Path. So, listen to that. You go your own path. Don't let anyone be telling you otherwise. And uh, J uh, Jane, let's see. Jane Onofre, Dr. Marquis is an from is a she's a naturopath doctor and from Empowered Health from Canada, Toronto area, and of course we have Jay Onofre of Podcast Tribe Tribes, and she's been so busy building different tribes from Vancouver, and yours truly from originally from the Philippines, but I live in Princeton, New Jersey. So there you are. And of course, the one and only, she is a global hero. And I say that because even my people, my folks in the Philippines, they got busy is sharing the information that you are coming to grace us with your presence. And you, you are both ordinary you. because you're a, you're a mother, you're a busy working woman, but you are super extraordinary as well. So um, talking about integrity, so for when people who, who didn't buy the narrative knows you, then people who are still questioning the narrative, they say, who, what? So Dr. Cahill, for those who don't know you, how about you just tell us the abbreviated version of your, of how you, what you've been doing before and suddenly now in even less than two months last year, you're out there speaking the truth. So thank you very much. It's lovely to be on with everyone and an absolute privilege to be interviewed by you all. Uh, yeah, my name is Dolores Cahill. Uh, my background is molecular biology and immunology. I've been a professor for about 20 years. Um, and I also set up a company in 1997, sold it in uh, 2019. And that company was about the improved diagnosis of autoimmune diseases and cancer. And part of the thing when you diagnose autoimmune diseases early is that you can make lifestyle changes, de-stress, detoxify, um, get your nutritional balance correct, and you can reduce the symptoms. So I guess uh, the multiple kind of strands in my life have been around research integrity. So about 30 years ago when I was doing my degree and PhD, I realized that a lot of the publications 
in science and medicine and a lot of the tools we were using including tests and antibodies were entirely inaccurate and I'm very common sense orientated. I grew up on a small farm and my solution was to develop an area called high content protein arrays. All of my research and tools were made available worldwide and were confirmed by everyone. But I was then saying that promotion and kind of status in science and medicine should be that everyone else should submit their claims and what underpins their research publications into repositories or biobanks so that if you have a virus, if you say you've isolated a virus, if you have a PCR test, if you have a model in biochemistry uh, or an antibody or some kind of diagnostic test, it should be available for others to confirm your claims. Um, and also that all promotions in science and medicine and all areas should be related to how well your claims can be validated. And I was very successful early on in my 20s in what I did. And I was honored to be on a lot of government advisory councils and committees. And I was an expert in the EU for about 20 years. Um, and so what I was doing then was promoting research integrity. Um, and also I was a policy analyst and worked in the EU and was on the Irish Government Advisory Science Council so I would have a kind of an international and worldwide perspective on science and medicine. And about 25 years ago, I realized there was huge adverse events associated with prescribed medication, interactions in hospitals and with vaccines. And then I started to get huge pushback saying, this is not career enhancing and kind of threats that my career would be over and also uh, threats to my uh, well-being and to my life as well over like 15, 20 years. But I have a, a very optimistic outlook and I'm not afraid of uh, life's challenges and death. So I just keep plowing on. And I was well aware then of the uh, false declaration of pandemics, including SARS 20 years ago by the World Health Organization. I've studied the false pandemic declaration. So I saw this one coming in September 2019. I forensically watched event 201, uh, was in my networks from last from 2019 all through the spring saying there was not necessary to focus on an mRNA injection, um, but that we should make vitamin D, C, zinc, hydroxychloroquine and zinc available. This didn't happen. I came out publicly in May 2020. In the summer of um, 2020, I then was one of the founders of the World Doctors' Alliance, and in October, November, one of the founders of the World Freedom Alliance. And last year, I'm very honored to be founder of Freedom Travel Alliance, Freedom Airways to push back. And I'm also consortium coordinator of the World PCR Sequencing Consortium. And just about two weeks ago, the Sequencing Consortium got permission to sequence PCR tests across the USA. And in the same 24 hours, the CDC did a class one withdrawal of the PCR test in the United States. So I guess you'd call me a troublemaker. <laughs> That's a good title. And so we're with you. We're all troublemakers. We're all, as Dr. Christian Northrop would say, she, she asked, so who are the black sheep? And we all raised our hands as black, black sheep. So, um, so there you are people, you heard 
all her credentials, all her accomplishments. It can go beyond the moon and back. No wonder why, Dr. Cahill, no one will accept your challenge for a for a, uh, a debate. Okay, and so but thank you for everything that you do. And I just have one simple question because all the others have so many questions plus questions from the viewers. So, how do you sleep at night? Are you still doing okay? Well, that's very kind. Uh, that's very nice. So I don't really need that much sleep, as it turns out. And I suppose I've been studying this area in addition to working for maybe about eight hours a day for the last 30 years. Um, and I think, you know, uh, maybe 25 years ago, I read that they were going to reduce life expectancy between 2020 and 2025, that there would be more or less a mass um, death event and I made the connection so this was in the models you know that underpin the financial industry banking pension and I made the connection that it was uh, the interaction with the healthcare system and vaccines and decided to dedicate a lot of my life to it so we now see that this has happened in the last two years in reality and I suppose I feel very privileged that I was able to prepare and psychologically prepare for what is happening now, but also for the adverse consequences of what is happening, like the injections, the reduction in life expectancy, the death. And even though we are facing a harsh number of years, I think there is a duty on those of us who know to not just try and build the future and hold those to account, but also to give hope. So even though I'm probably one of the most aware in the world of what they are preparing, I think that if we can show that even though we know the evil is there and we know how to address it, that there is a duty on us to kind of work night and day and to not worry too much about ourselves, but to try and provide maybe a light and a hope and a way through what's going on and to reduce the fear, you know? So I am really honored and every day, it's an absolute privilege to be involved in all of these meetings and to try and give some hope and guidance uh, for the future. So I'm, I'm actually very well and try and remain optimistic to, despite all the things that's going on. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm gonna pass it on to Roy. Thanks, Grace. Um... I've been impressed with you from the very start when I was watching what you were doing in Dublin with all the protests. You were always there staying everything. And I think you gave inspiration to a lot of people to continue the fight because a lot of people, you know, it sucked the soul out of them. But when they saw you out there, especially with your credentials, you know, it wasn't just somebody just shouting there. You had the credentials to back it up. And I think you helped a lot of people by that. Uh, what I'm after seeing last week that I reported on my show was that a person had of 18 years of age it was her parents were reporting it she had died from the poison dart as we call it after 21 days and they actually were donating so they basically the doctors it was in her brain that and they donated her organs that scared me like what's your thoughts on that so i think that is worrying so roy it's very lovely to be in touch with you fellow fellow irishman uh fellow irish person or whatever but I think it is very scary and we do know that whatever there are toxic um, ingredients in the injections 
And it also, in some of these injections, it enhances the immune system to react against the injection. And so the worry would be that if you were to uh, have blood transfusions or organ donations from someone that have, would have died because of the adverse events of the injection, for that to be um, donated to another person. And a lot of the organ donations are people that are already ill. And the worry would be that if it was mRNA, it's in that organ, when that goes into a new person, that the mRNA would induce an immune response in the person who got the donated organ, and that that would then elicit an, another immune response that could have adverse events. So I think you are right to be concerned, and I also think there is issues around blood donation as well. And I've been calling for a biorepository of the vials because we really don't know what is going on, and we do need to have you know, copies of the vials in order to detoxify people who have either got the got the injections and survived or to figure out exactly why did that young girl die yeah no. and I, I i love to look at the positive side of everything and you know we can talk about you know i i have to mention that one because it's important but what I'm looking at, you're going down the route that I believe is our, is going to be our saving grace because I've I've read a lot of the common law books. I'm now reading a load on uh, Judge uh, Anna Van Wright. And yeah. I think it's important because I like I see loads of protests and sometimes like there's no call to action. There's people out there, they're grand. Sometimes they're just going out, they're having their day out and then they're going home. There's no changes because we've seen major protests, especially in Germany, and it kind of because they block people traveling. Because I remember Hartmut Dallas, you know, there was millions in, in Berlin at one stage, and it was like, this is great. And then all of a sudden, they just closed the borders and they stopped people traveling. So I believe that the common law is the way to go forward. So how do we get the message out to people to start? Because I think we have to protect ourselves. We can't be going, it's Trump, it's this guy, it's that guy, because we see it in Ireland because, you know, Dolores would know it just like me. Some people are thinking it's left, it's right. We have Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, two opposition parties for 90 years who are now in cahoots together with the Green Party and they have just voted basically like that you can't go into uh, restaurants and everything to, unless you've got the poison dart. Yeah, and actually, I was just on the phone with Dr. Heiko Schöning, who was one of the leaders of all of the rallies in Berlin. And he was saying to me in the last few days, even for they had a rally in Berlin on the 1st of August, and they were fighting, you know, to defend their inalienable rights and freedom of assembly. But the court rejected it. And then they went to the higher courts and unlawfully they rejected it. So um, I think why you're right, people need to learn about the law because that is exactly how we push back. And I've been doing that since the beginning, you know, and studying it for intensively for 20 years. And very simply, uh, the roots of how to fight back are in the natural law, in the hierarchy of laws, you have the natural law. And the natural law includes our inalienable or inalienable rights of bodily integrity, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and privacy. And therefore, what they are attacking is all of these freedom and rights. So around our freedom to travel, freedom to not have to give passenger locator or health information, and freedom to not have to wear a mask to be PCR tested or to, to be coerced into an injection. And in the hierarchy of law, the natural law is higher. It's not written. It's ancient. 
and underneath that you have universal law and then underneath that you have the common law so even though i am you know holding and i've been trained as a common law peace commissioner with our friends and brothers and sisters in the united kingdom and john smith mixed dot um and that is the way that under the common law or natural law that you can push back on people and that just the common law is that no one should do harm to someone else and if they do it is the living man or woman that is accountable so for how that translates then into real life is that doctors and nurses should be aware that there are harm associated with these injections when you do, when we know there are prevention and treatments like vitamin D hydroxychloroquine and zinc and ivermectin the harm of the injections far outweigh the uh, any issue with with the coronavirus because there's prevention and treatments so the harm rests with the individual man or woman as a doctor and under the law men and women are accountable for their actions and omissions there is no indemnity but that harm includes the individual presidents presidents and prime ministers and attorney generals as well as the individual teacher in the school or the individual doctor and how you translate that then into holding people to account you write a notice of liability you write an affidavit of truth and you hold those individual people to account and the mechanism after the notices of liability and affidavits is you can make a claim against them so the family of that 18 year old or anyone injured they can then claim off the doctor to say uh, did you uphold the law did you give full informed consent uh, and did the should you have enrolled that girl that 18 year old in a clinical trial when if she uh, you know was aware of the adverse events she probably would not have taken the injection and so holding individual men and women accountable under the law and for practical things for everyone in the world you don't need police or the courts to uh, uphold your inalienable rights you just write individually to the doctor or to the teacher but you can make a claim off of them including their house their pension their income their indemnity insurance and you can report them for crimes like of um not giving full informed consent which is a striking off offense and if somebody dies of a crime of contributory manslaughter and the politicians and civil servants and people censoring us are guilty of crimes like um malfeasance or uh, crimes against humanity for censoring health information becoming available right and i think a lot of people fear police officers in ireland we call them the garda shia coin it was impressive watching you approach them last week and i think people need to listen to this because a lot of the time they're just complaining because they think they have to obey the police officers the police officers aren't actually doing what they're supposed to do not the oath that they've taken you may just give people a quick brief on that because i think it was uh, inspiring for people to see yeah and i suppose part of this about in march um my job threatened me you know my employer for a breach well for gross misconduct as a professor uh, they wrote to me a few days before if i went to a freedom of speech uh event that i wasn't the organizer of uh less than a mile from my home and the meeting was around mental health so it was in my local park 
less than a kilometer away. So I ended up writing to the uh, my employer, of course, saying that I have, you know, this was on a bank holiday on St. Patrick's Day, that no one is entitled to threaten or coerce you, you know, for uh, going to a meeting. But I ended up writing to the chief of police in Ireland, Drew Harris, and this is related to the election event, and saying, um, do members of the police in Ireland on Garda Síochána have to uh, produce a warrant oath card, right, if they are members of a Garda Síochána? And in a way that is saying, do members of the police have to uphold the law because they swear an oath that they will uphold the law and they must produce this card. So essentially, it's the same under the natural law for everyone. Members of the police, just because they're dressed in uniform, that isn't what makes them a member of the police force. What makes them a member of the police force or a member of the judges, the judiciary is, that they are upholding their oath to uphold the law. And why that is important is the hierarchy of law is the law is to respect your freedoms and rights of freedom of assembly, freedom of travel, bodily integrity and privacy. So that in Ireland, the police were stopping people, right, infringing on their inalienable rights to travel uh, and asking them under so-called COVID-19 regulations, are you traveling and trying to put a limit on your travel? And that's what my employer was essentially coercing me to say, if you travel more than a mile, we are going to uh, instigate proceedings to fire you from your job of gross misconduct. So what is important is that if members of the police don't uphold the rule of law, they are then breaching their oath and then they can be held accountable in their private capacity. So what we then saw is I stood for election, right? Because I am aware that in the globalist plan, as we saw in the United States, the globalists under this COVID-19 agenda, they do not want free and fair elections, right? In the years to come in the decades to come. So how you get standing in law then is I stood for election and there was an issue around how the ballots were uh, processed where I was voting. But then when I went to the election count, you have an absolute right as an election candidate to see how your votes were counted. And someone dressed as a member of the police in Ireland wouldn't let me in, so they were infringing on my right of assembly, right of travel, but none of the police would produce their warrant oath cards. So essentially they were committing a crime of dressing up as police officers, but not actually, uh, you know, actually saying that they were upholding the law. And in Ireland, that's a crime of up to 20 years in prison. And so I was challenging them going, why are you not producing your warrant oath card? I had written and someone wrote back on behalf of uh, Drew Harris, the head of the police in Ireland to say, yes, members of the police should. So I think why this is all important is that even though there is harm associated with COVID-19, that what is going on now has been laid out for over 40 years um, or you know, 40, 30 years and I was studying it intensively for 20 years. And COVID-19 sadly is a distraction in our societies for the undermining of the rule of law, right? By 
people that should uphold the law. So by the police, the members of parliament, the judges, and that the doctors and coroners are also not upholding the law because we have prevention and treatment and the doctor's role is to do no harm. So if vitamin D, hydroxychloroquine and zinc and ivermectin can save lives immediately when anyone has flu-like symptoms, it is entirely unlawful. The doctors are not making prevention and treatment available that's safe, effective, Nobel Prize winning. And then they are coercing people. Like in Ireland, they say, if you have a heart attack, in the hospitals, the doctors and nurses are not treating people until they have some medical test that they, is unnecessary. So that is like a crime. And it's almost, it's like a Nuremberg situation that we have doctors you know, experimenting on people for testing and vaccinations that are unnecessary. Um, and that is unlawful. And in a normal functioning society, that would be a striking off offense for the doctors. And we see the police not, you know, challenging doctors who are causing those crimes and the police are criminalizing people walking to their local park, you know. So what's really going on with COVID-19 is an undermining of the fabric of our society from the politicians, the media, the medical profession, the police and the courts. And so part of everything that I do is to just call it out. That's why we're so censored. But at the same time, in the World Doctors Alliance, we're building a world medic board so that doctors are saying volunteering to be held to account, to give the proper prevention and treatment, to not give vaccinations that cause harm. And we're in world, we say the Freedom Travel Alliance is there to develop a transportation infrastructure in the world that will be unmasked, untested and unencumbered, you know, to honor our rights. And then also we need to recognize there's an issue in the financial system, banking, in the vote and democracy, and to just build a freedom ecosystem that even if we are one in five people in the world, to say to people, every time you spend money now, you should be buying your coffee and going the extra mile to spend your money to buy a coffee or in a restaurant or in a hotel or an accountant with people or a bank um, or what media and social media you watch, we should be moving and voting with our feet and with our money to the to build the freedom uh, ecosystem of the future. Yeah, totally agree with you. And just finally, before I pass you on to Hartman, because one of our um, fellow Irish men, um, Luke Ming, who's a, an MEP, I saw a video a few years ago of Basically, he had a camera hidden, but put it up on YouTube of how the voting was done on different things that they're voting on. They weren't allowed to get the documentation beforehand. They had to go down to a special room accompanied by something. He's not able to record it. That's scary when you're actually making laws and that's how they're doing it. Yes, exactly. And I think that was around PESCO, if I, I maybe, wasn't that in the European yes, Union? Yeah, or actually, yeah. no, it was the transatlantic trade agreement between the EU and oh, the yeah. United States. Yeah. And I think, uh, Roy, why that was very significant is that that even though it was um, did not go through eventually, what that what the globalists wanted to do was to say that international courts could sue individual nations if they did not like uh, what they were doing. So, for example, in the nation of era in Ireland, 
they said that smoking was causing more harm than good. And they made it, uh, said that you couldn't smoke, we'll say, in pubs. And if that uh, international trade agreement between the USA and the EU went ahead, they could sue Ireland for billions for the potential loss of income of the tobacco industry, but disregard the fact that they were doing it because it was causing cancer and harm. And Lou Ming Flanagan was one of the main people who I admire very much. But I think what COVID-19 is doing is saying, we just very simply have to say, no, you know, we need transparency and integrity in the voting system. Doctors should not be struck off for giving life-saving, safe and effective treatments, and they should not be struck off for not giving injections that are not necessary and causing huge harm. So even though people may be very afraid for what's going on now, it kind of had to get this bad for people to put a pause in their lives, look at the kind of society we had and the deception and the lies that we are being told and have been told for decades from the media and the politicians and for all of us to gather together to you know, build media that's free, build a financial system that is not you know, tracked and traced and that they cannot coerce you to nudge you. you know? and, and also we have like a welfare system where the states are trying to say you will only get your welfare money or you can only have a license or you can only get an education if you are vaccinated or if you uh, fill in passenger locator or if you have certain testing. You know, can you imagine 20 years ago if someone said only HIV negative people can eat inside in a restaurant? People would say that is absolute discrimination. That is forcing people, coercing people to reveal private health information. It would obviously be discrimination. And two weeks ago, the president of Ireland, Michael D. Higgins, is purported to have signed a bill to say that only vaccinated people can eat inside in restaurants. It's entirely unlawful, it's coercive, uh, it's criminal, it's criminalizing, it's criminally coercive. The crime of coercion in Ireland is four years in prison, you know, trying to coerce people to get a vaccination that's huge adverse events and death associated with it and in clinical trials is wrong and it's unlawful. Um, and I suppose what we need is more people that are elected to call it out. And that's why I stood for election unsuccessfully this time, but I do intend to um, stand for election again and maybe even uh, for higher office in Ireland. So, you know, we just have to keep challenging them every step of the way and every day. And that's what I try and do. Oh, perfect. Garamila Mahagut Dolores and keep Garamila up the good Garamila fight. Garamila. <laughs> and I'm Hartmut. Wow, Dolores, pleasure to talk. Pleasure listening to you. And um, and uh, I want to I want to talk about the Nuremberg trial because I think, as you said, this is forty years old, and I think it's much older because it started already um, in eighteen I don't know seventy three seventy six. I think it starts all with the patent law. And, um, for example, uh, the European, let's say the Third Reich, the Nazis, they wanted to establish a one court or one law, a one patent law and one currency. And this they established in the whole European Union. And um, their target for the World War, Second World War was to establish the patent law worldwide, what they did. And um, 
I think that the patent law is maybe the the core of its problem. And uh, do you see uh, a possibility that the common law can destroy the patent law? Now, that is a very good question. That is a very good question. So I suppose, you know, you are right. The roots of what's going on now, you know, could have started with, uh, you know, Caesar, Julian and, and Augustus, right? Uh, thousands of years ago. And certainly the roots are in the 1666 Seta Ve Act, you know, when they said that living men and women no longer existed in their world and that they said that we were all dead and essentially they would set up a system where the governments and the law would only apply to dead people and that's where we get these the terminology of miss dolores cahal or mister um and that the law the legislation the governments would only apply to corporations not to living men and women and they use this to then subvert the natural law and the rule of law and the law of the land. And I do think, so patent law, you know, it's kind of part of that, but now maybe you can give me more information, but really in a way, the patenting of things in general, that was to get around what was called trade secrets, right? A lot of the time there was innovation, but they were kept secret in individual companies. So the patent law on the face of it was that you would get the beneficial income from your invention for 20 years, but on one condition that you explained what your innovation was. And after 20 years, um, then no one, you would not be able to make any money out of it. And it would then add to all of the innovations in the world. But why you may be right is that about 20, 30 years ago, they started to patent or patent genes and they started to patent things like viruses. And we do know that the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, and um, you know the medical community in America, that 40% of the income that they get is from patenting viruses and infectious agents that then they can declare a pandemic, you know, that someone can patent, we'll say like Fauci or the people working in the institutes of health or in the CDC, and then they are the people that recommend to the WHO that they then declare a pandemic. And so the same people that have patented like the PCR tests, if a pandemic are declared, then become billionaires overnight. So, um, I, but of course, under the natural law, and there has been Supreme Court decisions that you cannot patent a living organism. And that does come down to why there was this 12 nucleotide addition to SARS-CoV-2, which was not found in other related viruses. Um, and this was the a particular group that in the patent, it said it would make a, when this was in a coronavirus, up to a hundred or a thousand times more infectious or dangerous. And it was the insertion of this unnatural 12 nucleotides that made the SARS-CoV-2 something that could be patented and that made a lot of the tests uh, patented because it wasn't no longer 
a natural organism. It was a genetically modified organism. And another worrying aspect is the clinical trial started in July 2020. And I remember looking up to see the EU, that was in the EU, would have to relax the genetically modified organism regulations because I knew that everyone who gets the mRNA injection becomes a genetically modified organism. And sure enough, I think it was the 17th of July, 2020, there was a call from the European Union to relax all of the genetically modified organisms regulation. And then two or three days later, the clinical trial started, right? So technically, right, even though it's unlawful, everyone who gets an mRNA injection is technically a genetically modified organism. And I think one of the reasons why they are doing this is that the natural law applies to living men and women, right? Um, but after the injection, technically they could say that the people are no longer, by definition, men and women, they are genetically modified organisms. And that I had a license for decades to run a genetically modified organism lab. And you cannot um, transport them from one country to another without a permission, a license or a passport. And I think that in the globalist world, the underpinning of the so-called vaccine passports is that they will make a claim that anyone injected is no longer a man and woman and therefore they need these vaccine passports. And what is also criminal is, it looks like the mRNA will pass through future generations um, and that it may undermine in their eyes, you know, and in the eyes of the law, that then the children or people who have this mRNA of a virus in them are essentially genetically modified and they could technically try and argue that the natural law and the rule of law did not apply to them or to future generations anymore. Now, I would say that I've already thought of how we can um, fight against that. And it's around the issue of consent, that if people were not aware of the adverse offense, that they will are you know, genetically modified organisms, they may be infertile in the future that they did not give consent to that and therefore under the law um, that that is not a proper status, they did not consent. And the other thing that they are doing is that if you are a genetically modified organism, they may want to patent individual people and that may be why they are doing the PCR testing so much because then they can associate and that may be why they're doing passenger locator because they are injecting um, nanoparticles and devices and people can be barcoded so that they can track individual people, passenger locate them and potentially prevent them from traveling uh, freely in the future um, as well as people that have implantable trackable devices as well as genetically modified organisms that can be patented and they may be and I think they many states are retaining the people's DNA from the PCR tests.
unbelievable. Yeah, but yeah, that's uh, nothing to say anymore. This is this is uh, yeah. At this, uh, Grace said it really brilliantly. We are all black sheep, so we know that stuff. And it's um, the problem is to get this stuff in the mind of the people. Um, and um, what I want to this what I want to um, clarify is uh, what is maybe the the altering of the DNA because if I get for example if someone gets a shot then he has 40 billion mRNA particles in one shot in his body and so far as I understood uh, um, 25% will stay in the arm and 75% will go in the blood circulation by the over the lymph system and uh, the most people don't know that the blood circulation um, uh, consists of 75% of capillaries, which are very very small. And you and if um, and if one blood cell wants to go in a capillary, it has to it has to make it small itself in order to go through it. But with these um, with the 40 billion mRNA particles, which will produce the spike protein theoretically, um, the spikes will be in the capillaries and um, the blood cell cannot go through it so that there it will exist the blood clot and uh, also the brain the brain barrier they will it will go through the brain barrier and the problem is that we also have heard in, in previous interviews that if someone is touching you, and if someone has a vaccination and is touching you, that you get sick. And um, the question is, do we get when we are when we get this when we get sick by touching someone who got the vaccination? Is this already the changing of the mRNA, or is this only, let's say, a flu which will not change the mRNA? Do you know anything about that? Yes, so I think the thing with the mRNA is normally it would degrade as well. It would only have a very short half-life. So it seems to be packaged in various particles that allows it to survive a lot longer. But also a lot of the agents of the packaging, whether it's lipids uh, or nanotype particles or polyethylene glycol, actually can cause allergic reactions, you know, and anaphylaxis in people. But there seems to be a mechanism that the mRNA uh, integrates into um, our own DNA so that it can then stay around much longer because normally it would just degrade over a period of days or weeks and would you know, elicit an immune response and then disappear. But when I came out in May 2020 and in most of my interviews since, I referred to a famous paper from Cheng uh, 2012, where they were trying to make this mRNA coronavirus vaccine, but when they in animals, and they found some adverse events in the animals, but what they found is when in the months and years afterwards, they re-exposed the animals to coronavirus, the either all or many of the animals died. And that was because the mRNA seems to integrate into the human DNA, it can then be expressed in the future at a low level for the spike protein, 
the immune system, you know, clears the, the mRNA and spike protein in the first few weeks. But when it comes across the coronavirus again, this immune system is hugely triggered. It then sees that there is low level spike protein being expressed in the various tissues of the body. And then the immune system starts to attack your own organs. Um, and then this leads to chronic fatigue, sepsis, and people can die. And that's what I came out and was talking about in May 2020. And that's called cytokine storm antibody dependent enhancement, which means that the mRNA injection enhances the disease and leads to death, including by organ failure and sepsis in the months and years ahead. But what you're talking about is that the mRNA is transported by the body, by the immune system, including the red blood cells, and that there are certain um, new uh, receptors, we'll say, on the red blood cells, and that this ends up changing how the cells transport about the body, and they end up clumping together and forming clots. And those clots then lead to, in a two or three weeks, clotting strokes, or it triggers the immune system for the immune system to attack the heart and that the people die that have been injected within a couple of weeks of heart failure or dilated hearts. And that was all mentioned in that 2012 paper. But the So there are multiple mechanisms of causing adverse events in the weeks after the injection, but also kind of a silent killer that can cause the cytokine storm in the months, we we'll say 18 months, two years, three years afterwards. Um, but the other thing that people are not talking about, and we've had some reports, is that there can be multiple mRNAs in the injection. So my fear is that what they're injecting may not just be the spike protein, but it could also mean that people could have this cytokine storm in relation to other infectious agents in the future as well. So it could be other things like um, influenza injections or other type of infectious agents, right? There's very little quality control for what's in the injection, but also there are some very toxic ingredients that should not be there, like SM-102 is the second biggest ingredient in one of the injections. And if you look at the data sheet for that, it says fatal if in contact with the skin, and that's been injected. We also see that there are issues around magnetic particles, magnetic nanoparticles, and um, Professor Gatti also had a very good 2017 paper where she showed you could have metal nanoparticles like titanium, uh, steel, you know, cadmium, and some agents like aluminium that were essentially unlisted ingredients in the injection that may be the cause of making people have magnets stick to them, but also increase the breach of the blood-brain barrier for the uh, ingredients of the injection to pass through the brain and cause inflammation and clotting in the brain. Uh, or, you know, we see that people who are injected are predisposed to confusion to neurocognitive impairment, to Parkinson's, and to potentially Creutzfeldt-Jakob or prion-like disease. So I was calling before these um, 
injections or vaccines were made to say that we have to have the vials because we know in the past there was unlisted ingredients and hugely toxic ingredients in the vials that are causing huge harm and that mercury, one of the most toxic ingredients on the planet, was in these injections that was given to babies and to many people for decades and that was had no biological or medical reason to be in there and caused huge harm. So I suppose a year and a half ago, I said to make it simple for people, I would never get one of these injections. I thought it was going to cause huge harm. I would go to prison first, you know, and that if you gave me $10 million, I'm not a wealthy person, I wouldn't take it. So I was trying to say that after studying these things for 20 years, uh, I would not take any of these because of the harm they will do in the immediate weeks after the injection. But there are silent killers and silent causes of chronic fatigue, autoimmune diseases, cancer, and potentially infertility and death that will only happen in the months and years after the injection. And the other thing that the governments are not doing around the world, these are all clinical trials. Everybody should be getting, you know, a very thick form that allows you to say these are all the adverse events. This is the batch number. You know, this is the actual vial that you have. And then really to track them if they have adverse events in the months and years, you know, and infertility. And none of that is happening. Like in Ireland, people are walking into pharmacists, not signing anything, not getting any proper informed consent. I'm walking out and there is it's very difficult to report the adverse events. So, again, it's kind of an undermining of the rule of law, of informed consent, of the bond between doctors and pharmacists and patients um, and the bond, you know, in the clinical trial community and in the scientific and medical research community. And really, it is, you know, shocking, really, what's going on. And I suppose, you know, we have to identify it and try and convince people, you know, one person at a time um, to really not get this injection um, and to try, you know, to to stop the censoring, I guess, of our message getting out. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, um, yeah, the, the message is, um, let's say it this way. Um, on the one hand, we try to, to get the message out, but for example, they say officially, I don't know whether I can believe these figures, because statistics may lie a lot, um, that 50% of the people of the population is already or close, got the two vaccinations. Um, what, I've, what I've found out, or what, I, what we also discussed in the past, is um, that the transport of the vaccination has completely changed. Because at the end, at the beginning we had, for example, it must be it must be very careful transported by minus seventy degrees. Now um, no one takes care about that anymore. Yeah, you can find them maybe under the desk. Um, is there the possibility or is there the hope that this all the knowledge what we got and what we all found in trials and all that stuff that it didn't work in this way and that this is only a huge scam? in order to make a profit? Or is this only, let's say, uh, a, the trial to get a self-fulfilling prophecy? 
Now, that is a very good question. So, like, I think people should go to Catherine Austin Fitz. And she is, you know, she was a former secretary uh, in the Reagan administration. So that would be like a minister uh, in the Ireland, you know, the United Kingdom. And she has been studying the banking system. And I'm in touch as well with Professor Richard Werner. So her uh, website is the Solari Report. And about maybe eight months ago now, she produced a document to show the cost of adverse events for injections. And that was a family. It's a template. She worked out on average, it costs $5 million for an adverse event in a family because of the amount of time it takes to care for someone um, with an adverse event. So that's just to say there are financial issues related to what's going on. But I myself, there is a financial component and there is an issue around the amount of borrowing that our nations are doing, you know, because they say the NHS in the United Kingdom has spent the equivalent of the entire NHS budget in 2019 on all COVID-related PCR testing, right? So and there's huge amount of borrowing and a lot of our nations are putting people on welfare payments and COVID-19 pay, um, payments. And there is a huge decrease in the volume of the economy, you know, the amount of turnover and the amount of people working and paying tax in the system. But I think... It's not so much the financial aspect because the banks are making money out of nothing. So that if it is around, you know, the financial system, the central banks can just make billions out of nothing, which is what they're doing every day and every week. Um, and we do see, you know, the pharmaceutical industry and the banking industry are very closely connected. And a lot of the organizations behind the pharmaceutical industry are the same as the banking industry. And since the banking industry can make money essentially out of nothing, they really don't have to kill everybody, you know, or cause huge harm in order to make money. They can just make it out of nothing. You know what I mean? So I think it's really not the banking issue. I think there is a longer campaign to reduce life expectancy. And we see that a lot of, you know, treatments that can make people healthy and even there are toxins in the water, like in Donegal in Ireland, they have 32 additives to the water that each of them are really toxic, right? And that causes a reduction in uh, health, natural health, and a reduction in life expectancy and in a reduction, you know, in the general cognitive ability because a lot of the ingredients um, are detrimental to uh, critical thinking, you know, normal functioning and trying to actually make people predisposed to diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, including things like mercury and aluminium. So I think it's not really about the financial aspect. It's not about making money for the pharmaceutical industry. I think what it is, is about reducing the life expectancy um, and increasing infertility. That would be my, and I think a byproduct of what's going on is undermining the banking system. They do want to move to coercive digital banking systems, and they will be moving to things like that you cannot have a bank account unless you are vaccinated, but the vaccines cause 
huge illness and huge infertility. So, and I think when you study it, you know, it started in 1534, the history of what's going on um, with Henry VIII, and then in through 1666, by changing the system unlawfully, by just dealing with this legal fiction, the Miss Dolores Cahill, dealing with dead corporations, and then, you know, all the way through to 1913, and the way they moved away from the gold and silver behind the money supply to this privatization of central banks, and then through essentially the rise of these international organizations, the World Health Organization, and an insidious undermining of the rule of law through things like the European Union and the United Nations, and then the corruption of the politicians and essentially of the people that were promoted into the higher tiers of our society, the politicians, the university presidents, um, and the doctor and the regulatory community. And then we've had a situation for decades where they are teaching and the media uh, things that are entirely wrong. So carbon dioxide is not a source of climate change, the way they're portraying it, it's good. Uh, the whole system of debts in our nations could easily be addressed if the banking system in each country can just wipe away the debt, you know, by essentially magicking up money to, to pay all of the debt that we owe and each of our countries could start again. And the way interest is charged, the mortgages are not countersigned and essentially the contract is not there. Um, the banks are committing large fraud in the financial system and everybody knows it. And then in our the rule of law, people are not getting justice in their maritime system. So, And in the education system, they are teaching things that are entirely incorrect. So I suppose we've had an undermining of everything. But I don't think it's about the banking system. I think they're using the banking system as a tool to undermine and to cause fear. And I just finish off by saying, you know, in our lifetimes, they just have have waves of things that cause fear and that are unsolvable, right, in their world and often entirely untrue. So, you know, we didn't have any terrorism attacks, right, in the last few years because this is not the wave of fear caused by terrorism. You know, the whole climate change thing is gone. So they have these waves of fear through eight pandemics in the last 20 years the so-called fear around the climate change agenda. Then you have the fear of the banking crisis. You have the fear of national debt. You have the fear of, you know, health crisis and everything is kind of out of control. Nothing is ever solved. And then the media in all of our nations doesn't actually talk about what's going on and they hype up whatever the current wave of weather, you know, banking crisis, terrorism, uh, pandemics, health-related crises. And, you know, I think for people who are just waking up, for them, you know, it's all a house of cards, what's going on, our, all of our lives. And it may seem overwhelming. And I do think the psychology of how they are portraying it to make us be conspiracy theorists or, you know, to kind of ruin our reputation so people will not listen to us. Um, but when you are brave enough to step into the truth, you can just look back at really the emperor has no clothes and then kind of step into your power. And then once you realize it, 
you you don't get afraid anymore. You just go, you know what? We just have to set up clean water, healthy food, a banking system that is backed by something real, right? Like gold or silver or the resources of our nation. And then everybody just wants to live in a local community, drink clean water, support our local farmers, learn how to grow food. And if we're sick, that a medical professional will have to treat us um, and be accountable if they do not treat us and that we need to restore the integrity of the vote and just ordinary people stand for election. They don't even need to be in political parties and also uh, you know, come out under the censorship and support media that supports freedom um, and you know, restore our rights. And I think it's actually much easier than people think and that's why I have huge hope. You know, it's actually a wonderful world of health, you know, local food, accountability, and just uh, speaking the truth and having honest and open conversations from now on. You know, I, I, that's why everyone on our side usually is hugely optimistic, I think. Once you step out from under the fear and you just call it as it is and you're not afraid, um, things change for the better immediately. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Really, it was really appreciate uh, your conversation. And, uh, and and before I pass to, to Jane, I want to make the comment that they, the globalists, predicted that because of AI, the unemployment rate will be 65% in the year 2030. And so for this reason, there are too many people. And uh, what the, most people don't understand is there is a banking system. For example, Germany has a debt of a figure with 12 zeros. But the digital money, and we have several systems, ESISB, ISBN system, SWIFT system, but there are several other systems as well. And in the other systems, the bank can have easily money, digital money with 40 zeros. So the money is there, but not online. On balance, on ledger, off ledger. Yeah. So thank you so much. I pass it to Jane. Thank you. Dolores, I wanted to start out by saying a personal thank you. When this all broke out, alarm bells went off in my mind. And I think if you've been awake for years and watched things, you knew that this all led to a vaccine. It was really obvious. But you were the first one that spoke such beautiful truth at the beginning. I, I remember crying when I heard you. So thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And... You know, I just I just wanted to do a bit a bit of a review on what some of the major things that you saw leading up to this that made it obvious what was happening, and then also I've spoken to people in other countries, um, you know, that are seeing quite a bit of illness right now with variants, and you know, families of seven, say two, dying at sometimes and. You know they are seeing people get sick. I'm just. I want you just to comment on 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 that, and you know what is the cause. Very good. So thank you so much. Um, I suppose the thing I would have studied SARS, the first one in 2002, 2003, and there were randomized control trials then that showed that uh, chloroquine, which would was hydroxychloroquine and zinc, would treat it within three to eight hours and that you can get the treatment for about $4, and it w worked immediately. So, and Dr. Zelenko, so I was aware of that 20 years ago, 
So when I heard them, Event 201, they use the example of coronavirus, you know, I knew because there is a pattern for how they, you know, for all of the countries to act in lockstep. There is a mechanism that they have all of these globalists in power all over the place, right? They have these uh, NGOs, non-governmental organizations and the media, and they have to tell each other, you know, including in the so-called public health system, something is coming. So the real banking crash happened 17th and 18th of September 2019. And that was one of the foreshadowing of people to say there is a health crisis coming because everyone who was in the know actually bought silver and gold, uh, you know, protected their assets and the media didn't talk about it. Okay, so that was the trigger. And then Event 201, I was watching that in real time and I have to shout out to Canadian uh, Polly St. John or Amazing Polly. She had a fabulous YouTube and she used to go through forensically um, amazingly, you know, not just Event 201 in real time, but she would pick, you know, she was looking at Fauci, Fauci's wife, Bill Gates, all of the connections and how they connected. And of course, there is a connection with the banking system, with the politicians. And what we don't talk about very much is how how do they get all of these people into power to act in lockstep? And a lot of that is they bully out good people. You know, they if you start speaking up, you are fired. You know, when you are young in your 30s or 40s and through the university system, you know, all kinds of civil servants, the globalist organizations, if you don't speak out or they they essentially blackmail people or coerce people or intimidate them. But a lot of it is done through the pedophilia agenda. Right. And this is a huge issue. And many of the bankers like Mats Pavic. Um, and many others around the world in banking would have identified it. Uh, so we can see then, you know, in the study of who is involved in the higher echelons of these international organizations and politicians, that many of them would have been coerced or would have had issues around, um, you know, the uh, trafficking of children uh, that was covered up or that was been exposed through the Epstein um, arrest and the Epstein Island that many brave journalists were exposing. So I think many of us that had been studying it, um, and of course it was foreshadowed as well in the elections in America, there was huge issues around voter fraud. Uh, and you know the inauguration of Biden. You know when you actually spanned out, there was nobody there, right? Uh, and all of these things are just like in a normal society, you would say, what is going on? But when you look at the politicians for, you know, decades, there are significant issues all intertwined between corruption, uh, the issue around child abduction, child abuse, not been properly investigated, the undermining of, of all of the aspects again in society. So I think we all were aware that something, there was a major event coming. It had been foreshadowed. But for me, of course, it was the banking crisis, September 2019, and event 201. Okay. And also then that they were immediately, like I was involved in committees in the European Union um, on a voluntary basis, 
but they were immediately going to an, an mRNA injection and a vaccine and coercing and controlling people that were saying, no, no, we had this 20 years ago. Some of the safest uh, medicines in the world, hydroxychloroquine on the World Health Organization, essential medicine of the world, can treat this within a few hours. And Dr. Zelenko did a clinical trial more or less or a study of 799 elderly people in New York in February, March, not one of them died. You know, 20 were hospitalized. And there was uh, Dr. Didier Raoul in France also very rapidly came out. And what was shocking is they ended up doing, uh, I think it will go down as an absolute criminal event that they, some of the major journals in the world published a clinical trial where they essentially gave lethal doses of hydroxychloroquine to people in clinical trials that died. But it was obvious, and I called it out before, you know, when the paper came out was when I did my interview, that that was the wrong dose of hydroxychloroquine. And then maybe a month later, uh, that was shown to be correct, that it was lethal doses and the papers were withdrawn. But this is where we see the media around the world essentially with fear got it into people's minds that there was no prevention and treatment and that hydroxychloroquine was killing people, which was untrue, and that the only answer was this mRNA injection that either killed all of the animals in the animal studies when they were re-exposed to coronavirus um, and that the mRNA injections and the vaccines were the only solution. So, um, you know, I would have known this very early on, but what we see now when you're saying about adverse events, my interviews was talking about adverse events related to the vaccine. And from an actuarial point of view, on average, people have a one in 50 chance of getting an adverse event that can be severe from an injection. And so we knew for coronavirus, when they declared the pandemic, the chances of dying from coronavirus was 4,291 out of a population of 7,000 million. So it was one in 1.8 million versus an adverse event of one in 50 for the average vaccination, but maybe much higher adverse event rate for these mRNA ones. And um, that the harm, there was really no need for the vaccine at all. Um, so, but what's new to me now and more dangerous is that we see that the adverse events are much higher in these mRNA injections than previous. And in the European Union, they are reporting 1.7 million adverse events in the EU alone. Um, and over 17,000 deaths. So the list of adverse events are in categories like related to the heart, autoimmune disease, neurocognitive decline, and infertility. Um, and I personally know 10 people that have died of an adverse event from the mRNA clinical trials and the uh, SARS-CoV-2 injections in Ireland. Whereas in Ireland in 2020, in the whole country, less than 100 people died out of 5 million. So the harm of the injections is 100 or 1,000 times. And the adverse events are real and are related to, you know, autoimmune disease, neurocognitive impairment, 
uh, cardiac issues. And often people are dying, you know, within weeks of the injection. Yeah, so in countries where, you know, like Brazil or India, where they're seeing, where they're saying there's more COVID deaths, do you think it's related to the vaccine? Yes, absolutely. So I suppose the simple message is zero people in the world need die from a coronavirus. Zero. Mm. Because vitamin D, you know, and zinc and vitamin C will help, right, hugely. And then if you get the preventative dose of hydroxychloroquine, which is one preventative dose in zinc every three weeks, um, or if you get ivermectin in a preventable dose or in early treatment, not one person need die. So that means you can only get deaths related to SARS-CoV-2 by not giving prevention and treatment. And it looks like the injections are people are testing positive for COVID-19 after the injection. So it could be something in the injection. Um, but they, there are some of the most toxic ingredients in these vials. And then you are priming the immune system to react. You're making yourself a genetically modified organism that triggers your immune system to attack yourself. And you will die as an adverse event of the ingredients. Some of them are not listed or you will have a silent death event when you come across coronavirus. And the worrying thing is there may be mRNAs from other infectious agents, so that essentially you could die from an adverse event of the injection when you are re-exposed to maybe influenza um, or another um, infectious agent in the future. So I would see absolutely no reason, no need to get any of these injections. The clinical trials should be caused stopped immediately around the world um, and no one need die. And any as well, the tests do not distinguish between a Delta variant, right? The current testing. So all of these things talking about an increase in Delta variants when the testing cannot distinguish the Delta variant means that the media and the healthcare system are actually acting unlawfully and not telling the truth about the results of the tests. So. It is absolutely shocking. And I would directly say the deaths are nothing to do with the coronavirus, any kind of variant. What we are witnessing is an adverse event from the various injections, mRNA, so-called vaccines that are going on all over the world now and should be stopped immediately. Thank you so much, Dolores. Gratitude. <laughs> Thank you very much. Jen. I'm going to pass Lovely. you. Lovely. I'll, I'll pass you to Jay. Great. Thank you. Hi, Jay. Well, hello, darling. Oh, my goodness. This is, it's one thing to watch your videos. It's another thing to be, I feel like my cheeks are flapping in the wind, you know. <laughs> I've got, I've got this, this um, thing, because I find, you know, all the information, you know, it's like, you just get so mental, you know, and I just put myself in your shoes. And I think, how on earth is this woman doing what she is doing. And I, I'm with Jane, you know, I'm a mother of three. You're a grandmother. Yes. Oh, I'm a mother, not a grandmother yet, but not I have a, a daughter. Grandmother. Not a grandmother yet. No. <laughs> so someone in our freedom tribe chat, they, they were commenting on a video that you spoke about earlier. The one with you, with the, um, on, on Guardia Shia. 
Kona, am I saying that right? right. <laughs> <laughs> Roy, don't laugh at me. I, I, um, I'm doing my best where, where they wouldn't present their warrant oath cards. And yeah. I had to watch it several times and not because of, of what you said and, and not because of anything other than I actually turned the video um, audio off. And I watched how you handled yourself, how you, you were so calm. You were so present and shockingly loving. You were educating them. And this is so foreign because it's so easy when we talk of these things, the, the immediate response is anger. You know, if we talk about, you know, the emotions that we're all feeling, you know, myself as a parent, all of us all over the world for the injustice, you know, especially the more we learn about what's happening, the natural emotions that rise are, are anger, bitterness, resentment, frustration. Um, you know, I, I've, I've seen so many people, you know, move to, to want to kill the they that we are speaking about. And, and the polarization has become so strong. And so when we see a beacon of light such as yourself walking in this way, demonstrating for us, you know, it's a, I have a deep bow for you as a sister. And that I see... <laughs> So kind of you. That's so kind. Yeah. Well, it's not kind. I, I I see it as just I'm really honest because Dolores, we need each other. And I see your sadness. And I see your love. And I see your devotion and your commitment. And I but I see that you're weary. You know, you're a weary warrior right now. And I feel that. And I feel that all of us on this call want to take the burden off of each other. You know, that's why you're here. You know, I know this is Grace's intention. And so I feel like I want to give to you in this moment and share with you how you're being spoken of within our chats. Because I, I said, I'm going on with Dolores. Let me know, you know, what questions you have. Where are you guys at? We've got, you know, common law chats and all sorts of chats dependent on topic. But this is our Freedom Tribe chat, which is really about freedom on all levels, but specifically where it pertains to common law. Someone says, she handles it perfectly. Most wouldn't. I wouldn't, sadly. I know, right? Almost 40 years ago, our small town librarian who survived Dachau told me, you will see Nazism come to Canada in your lifetime. I'm already seeing the seeds. She was crying. It was seared into my brain. I was about six years old. The only, she was the only survivor of seven kids. The dichotomy of tears and a voice absolutely devoid of emotion to this day remains the most terrifying thing I've ever felt. And the cause of it is at our gates. There is more good than evil in the world. Peace and love to you all. Isn't that something? That's beautiful. And, and, and the way that the people that see you and what you're doing, the way they speak of you goes on. Dolores is a beautiful example of truth, of embodiment, of power. Power doesn't need to be aggressive. Power doesn't need to be evasive. Power doesn't need to hurt. We can be in our truth and embodied in our sovereign power in peace. Power can be gentle. Power can be silent presence. Power can be loving. There has been a lot of distortion of what embodying power and standing in power is. We now come back to the truth of power, which is pure truth embodied. 
And this truth embodied is nurturing, loving, patient, and strong. It sees, it is compassionate, it is intuitive, and it is unafraid. It is a loving presence. So, and it goes on. <laughs> I won't go on, but I wanted to give you that gift, Dolores, because it is such a special thing that there's so many that do see you. And my questions really stem from this place because there have been so many questions flooding in when I said I was going to be on the call with you. Overwhelmingly so. A lot of technical questions, but I felt like I really want the audience to see, you know, where you birthed your awakening because it wasn't recently. You said this was something that started 20 years ago for you. And I really want, I really want to understand, and I know the audience will really want to understand what was this prompting for you? What was it that birthed you to start to question what we were seeing in the world? Well, that's beautifully put, by the way, Jay. Thank you. I have tears in my eyes. And maybe just before I answer that, I think before the where it worked for me is that, you know, in the natural law, right, even though we talk about common law, the, we have this natural law, universal law, then common law. But in the natural law, it's about the embodiment of that you do no harm which is like the basis of a lot of the spiritual dimension and the religious element, you know? Mm -hmm. And really this, the natural law comes from act in honor, do no harm, you know, which is from a loving place. And what really, even though I don't talk about it, but it has been something that has guided me all of my life is, um, and I've studied what's going on, you know, much longer really than 20 years. But essentially what we are coming up against is evil. You know, people are deceiving us and usurping the goodness in people for all of our lives and for a few hundred years. And how they do that is to lie to people and deceive them and cause fear. And so why... Um, when you realize it's about evil and fear and how they use hundreds of years of psychology to exactly manipulate good, loving people to do things that they would not do unless they were manipulated and lied to and deceived, you know? And so it's they have learned how to do this for hundreds of years and there are many studies, you know, Professor Jordan Peterson from Canada is one of my heroes. And he came out, you know, and I studied him from, uh, I think it was October 2016, when he had his issues in the university around spe free speech. And I had had my issues, you know, before, during and after his issues. But what he was the expert in and explained it magnificently is how he used a lot of the analogies of the Soviet Union and in Germany, how loving fa fathers and mothers can actually, you know, in a short period of time, uh, without, you know, seemingly still functioning as men and women, uh, end up on a daily basis injecting people or killing people. And when you understand that, the, the basis of the what's going on is an evil manipulation of the psychology to 
play on people's fears, including the fear of death or the fear of being ridiculed or the fear of not being able to look after your family or pay your debts or your mortgages, you really realize that the only way to overcome what's going on is to recognize the evil, you know, inform yourself of how it works, including the psychological manipulation and the fear, um, which is why we say, you know, fear of climate change, a fear of terrorism, free, fear of dying, you know, of the whole medical thing of banking, economic collapse. But the only way that we can overcome this is by facing our own fears, um, including the fear of death um, or of reputational damage, um, and to literally stand in love and forgive them, uh, forgive as well our family members that may not want to hear the truth because unfortunately it's not just the truth about COVID-19 that once you start going down the rabbit hole of COVID-19 you realize that the very fundamental fabric of our society is based on deception and lies and that the lawful system of police are not holding them to account and I think a lot of the people who don't want to um, you know engage in discussion with people is that in their core they know that there's huge wrong going on and they would almost wear the mask and take the PCR test and even take the injection or vaccination because they are literally afraid to have it exposed that the people that they trust on the news every day, the people that they trust that they are their doctors and their teachers are all lying to them. So, so the solution then is we are facing evil and it's really a good versus evil battle. And so I have had to train myself um, to realize that people need hope and that if we who are trying to explain what's going on, if we put it across in an angry way, um, or we are even trying to look for vengeance, um, that we are actually playing into the globalist hands because what the globalists sadly want is, and why they are undermining the police and the rule of law, and why they are particularly targeting mothers, grandmothers and children at these freedom events and rallies around the world is that they want to use the undermining of the police as an excuse for even more draconian police. You know, police that come out with guns and that uh, attack even more the people that are challenging it and they literally want chaos and they want a destruction in society. So once you realize that, then there is a duty on people who really understand to be even more loving, even more patient, and then just say the basis of all this is the rule of law, you know, and trust in the police and to come out and say, everyone are our brothers and sisters. Now, of course, though, we do have to hold these people to account. And if I am at the forefront. I've, I've been trained as a peace constable myself. I'm training peace constables in Ireland. I'm working with, you know, representatives of the military and the veterans. And we do need to 
uh, hold these people. They may have to go to prison for 10 years, but we're not doing it in a retribution way. We are doing it in a way that for these people, even if they don't go to prison for us, that these people will be imprisoned for the rest of their lives in their own minds and in their own hearts for the wrong that they have done. Um, so I suppose the basis as well of the natural law is it's almost like goodness and evil is circulating in the world. It's part of the life force and it's part of um, the spiritual dimension and even the subconscious, you know, because even if you're nonverbal and you're a baby of a few months old and wrong is done to the baby or you see wrong done to someone else, it resonates to your core. And so the, the solution of all this then is to speak to people's subconscious or their right and wrong and to just say, no, I will uphold my inalienable rights and freedoms. I will not do evil. I will not coerce somebody into doing something that they don't want and no one should coerce me. So, so why I've remained hopeful is that when you realize it's a psychological a propaganda war, uh, they are doing evil. The solution of it then is to be loving and calm and patient. And I guess I've been preparing for this for a long time. I was um, going to say, you know, yeah. it's clearly you're not, it's not your first rodeo. That's evident. You're playing the long game. And uh, David, Dr. David Martin, who I have also a tremendous amount of respect for, Thank I you. recently heard him speaking to this and he was speaking about how, uh, from a very interesting perspective, I, I've not heard him often speak from, but he was speaking from the place of saying that, you know, light is a spectrum and that all darkness is, is really just the lack of light. Uh, so uh, somewhere on that spectrum, we're playing within this realm. So stay away from the polarization um, that we tend to do as human beings, because this is really playing into their hand, as you say. It's it's really the game that they want us to play, which is to become divided on all fronts. And right now, the movement that we have our changemaker movement through Thrive Tribes Global is really aimed at focusing on the solutions um, in every sector, all 12 sectors of major human endeavor, which is really interesting because each person is viewing this through a different lens. And we covered about, you know, eight of those lenses today, which include the perspective from the financial um, viewpoint, the perspective from the health viewpoint, the perspective from... Um, Oh, exactly. I mean, there's so many viewpoints within which we can do this. So what we've done with the tribes is we've we've almost created something that allows us an ascension process through the evolution of, of an awakening, because everyone's at a different place. And if you understand that, then we can honor that. And I see that you understand that. And it's beautiful. When we have people come into Truth Tribe, Dolores, and they're learning about yeah. the truth, you know, they're, they can't get out of bed for three weeks. You know, if they really are open to hearing it, they 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 don't. You know, this is shocking to them. It's like they get punched in the stomach, um, but eventually they progress and they move into Freedom Tribe, which is the solutions. Because people can only wait around in the problems for so long until they say, "What are we going to do about it?" So I want to just dive right into Freedom Airways. Um, this is a fascinating venture. Uh, so many of my people, you know, tell us about Freedom Airways. What is it about? What does it look like? Give us the full download, please, Dolores. Yes, um, thank you very much. So I have been looking, I mean, I guess the thing is, you know, if you've been awake for decades as well, in a way, I'm a little bit frustrated that there isn't a banking system already, there isn't a freedom media, you know, uh, that like many of us who have been awake, I'm including me, probably should have done much more work 
uh, to have things set up already before. But Freedom Travel Alliance was basically launched because uh, SAS would not honor my ticket. Uh, I think it was October 2020. And I just thought, okay, these companies that are not in, infringing our inalienable rights are committing criminal acts of coercion, you know, unlawful behavior. Um, but also we need to, in the R. Buckmeister Fuller way, right, build a new model and make the old one obsolete. So then I was saying that if you were had Freedom Airways and I had an interview the next day, um, that you would also not have a legacy that people would be potentially suing you in the future, right? Because it was known that mass reduce oxygen if um, people who are sick or are on long flights, that that would be detrimental to their health. So people will make claims against their indemnity insurance in the future if they coerce them into injections with adverse events. The pilots and the people who fly can sue the airlines, right? Because they're actually the ones coercing them into doing it. The Freedom Travel Alliance was is then uh, done with other people who had the same idea and contacted me, Susan Sweeten, Kevin Jenkins and Tara Thornton. All of them are involved in urban global health and in Freedom Angels and were extremely well connected in the freedom community in the world. And so we set up a membership model then in January 2021 and the members already get assistance. If you want to travel anywhere in the world with say from South Africa to Canada, that you can get, we have eight people now employed either part-time or full-time and members can get information for how can you travel and avoid PCR testing or avoid wearing masks. But we did have about two weeks ago, our first international flight from Ghana in Africa to Florida, which is cool. Um, and we're setting up and uh, trying to do regular flights between uh, Florida and the Caribbean. And also we're looking for, I think there's a flight between Dublin and Mexico. And we want to have regular flights in the next few weeks and months between Belfast and London. And we already, you can charter a flight anywhere in the world. We have made a strategic alliance. So you can go from Timbuktu to Cape Town, you know, or from whatever, San Diego to California. But that is very expensive, right? But so what we're trying to do is at least challenge and break down and support countries where they are um, already court cases have been won to so that people can travel unmasked and unvaccinated. Um, but then the thing is we may end up taking flights to if the flight is blocked to then have court cases um, or to establish between continents routes that people can go from North America, we'll say to Europe, and then the people will say into Austria or countries that are open and then people can go on public transport or hire a car in order to go outside Europe. So, and as well, we see that a lot of the pilots that were injected are now on some airlines being told and some regulators, they can't no longer fly as pilots because they have an increased risk of clotting and death. So they can't uh, be professional pilots. And we also saw that coming in Freedom Travel Alliance and we are supported by many pilots and crew and unions around the world that they want to have an employer that will mean they won't have to get vaccinated so that they can fly as pilots for the next 10, 20 years as well. So 
it's taken us, you know, we started off in January 2021 as a company. And we're also looking into long-term leasing of multiple airlines um, and have done an arrangement with airline owners so that we can have our own planes. And my long-term plan is to start buying up airports because it is the cheapest time to buy airports. Um, and the globalists have this plan for the next decades uh, so that we need to have a long-term plan as well to have at least in each continent, you know, and in each region uh, so that people can still fly and do business and go on holidays. So that's, um, that is, I suppose, and what, what, there is huge opportunity as well for businesses in health, you know, and I think, uh, and I would be, if anyone may be putting out a call again, I think we should be systematically taking claims against doctors pr privately, you know, and against coroners uh, and politicians that are engaged in this criminal coercion or not uh, giving prevention and treatment or writing down inaccurate results for PCR tests or on death certs. Um, and I think there is an industry for claiming on harm for the masks, for children in school, for people traveling. And I know that kind of sounds strange, but if we don't make it financially hurt doctors and politicians and lawyers and coroners that are going along with this unlawful agenda, they will never um, change you know, their professional activity. And I think we also only need a few precedence court cases against coroners, you know, against people that should be doing autopsies and against doctors and lawyers um, and airlines in order to give precedence cases that people can sue doctors who don't give proper treatment and the coroners in order to change what they're doing. So this cannot happen again in the years to come. This is brilliant. Um, I, I feel that there's so much more I could ask you, Dolores. There's so much more. There's so much more I would love to connect with you on, but we're getting on in time on, on, on our time together. But um, I do want to leave you with, with this thought um, from, again, Dr. David Martin. He talks about how in his in the fat years, you know, no one was listening to him, but he knew this was coming and he was speaking to audiences and it wasn't landing. No one was receiving the information. And he said it was incredibly painful because he wanted to give people time to prepare. But of course, people didn't want to hear it. And unfortunately, I find human nature often isn't until we're forced into a situation of what he refers to as the seven year now famine. We're in, we've just gone through the first year of it and he figures we have another six years that this cycle that we're in of, of, of awakening of, of seeing the shadows is a good thing that through seeing them we can then heal them move through them and create like Buckminster Fuller, Fuller these more beautiful vibrant thriving communities based in humans who can reclaim their birthrights and knowing how to do that comes through education we're going to have a future of freedom summit coming up it's going to be featuring all 12 sectors and speakers within all 12 of those sectors so we can meet people where they're at so that we can really be in their lane and speak their language and I would be absolutely delighted Dolores if you would join us at that summit. Oh, I would love to do it. And I think I totally thank you so much. And that's a beautiful perspective. And mm -hmm. I do agree with David Martin and with you. I think even in a historical sense, in 20 years, in 50 years, in 100 years, I think people will see that what's going on now is a transition from the old world of deception and an age of po poisoning and of lies and untruths and cover-up and coercion to a world where, you know, truth 
and freedom will prevail and there will be whole new industries. And I do think there is a psych the solution as well is a psychological approach to make people robust uh, and to really overcome their fears and including the fear of death, right? So if you overcome your fears, right, and face them head on and maybe your fears of losing money. And I think a lot of the people standing up would have had multiple jobs in their lives, you know, where they may have gone bankrupt, they may have been decimated by the previous financial crash, lost everything and carried on exactly like many of us. Um, and that once you and that those of us who have, you know, over, you know, faced, we'll say death or, you know, been in comas or whatever, that when you go through that or a financial death or a reputational death um, or have to face terminal illness, that then once you overcome that, you realize, and that is, again, the spiritual dimension and the natural law. Uh, and kind of karma is that really, you know, there is a life force within all of us and that we don't really die, you know, that we all actually embody or add to whatever the life force or the supernatural or spiritual force. And that is part of how we overcome the fear, you know, and then it, when you are not afraid of dying, you then are not afraid of living. And then the natural law, you realize the significance of just freedom of speech, you know, freedom to travel and meet your family or to do business, freedom of assembly, and that your home is literally your castle and that you have a right to privacy and a right to, to have peace and that nobody dressed up as a police has the right to infringe on any of those rights. And that is, that is simply the solution of what is happening. And once you simply know that, right, which is embedded in the common law and the rule of law, then anyone, it doesn't matter if they are, you know, some politician or 10 police lined up with masks. It's very easy to say, no, no, I have the right to go to this meeting. I have the right to travel. You cannot coerce me into anything, PCR. I don't have to tell you. You are no way in hell are you going to quarantine me into some uh, hotel. And I'm not paying you for <laughs> testing or tracking or, you know, you can anything you come near. And so in a way, I think the beauty and David Martin is right. Nobody was really listening to us. And, you know, the globalists over decades tried to make free speech synonymous with something that was hateful, uh, you know, or something that was a bad thing. And really, it's so simple, the natural law. Mm -hmm. Our societies have worked for generations and thousands of years. And that's why they are so putting so much pressure on the English-speaking community, right? It's because the rule of law, and we have to thank the English for the, you know, the, the way that they have embodied the law. And in our Irish ancestry with Brehan Law, uh, and I guess it's in our blood, right? In many of the English-speaking communities, it seems to resonate more, uh, is that we embody freedom. And, you know, when you're saying for me, you, you were saying, where did it come from? That I grew up on a small farm, but we actually knew as children we were free and no one could come onto our farm. No one could tell us what to do. And the way to win this is to actually educate children you know and try to have like a freedom scouting movement 
where children are just inspired to say, no, no, you have value. Each unique person is really an embodiment of the force of love and that no one can force you to do something that you don't want to do. You are a free person. You can travel the world and meet everybody with love. And that's why the embodiment of the natural law and the common law is act in honor, do no harm. Mm-hmm. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. And it's really simple. So, I, you know, when we talk about solutions, the solution is just to say, we are free. No one can take away our freedom uh, and love one another. And that is that is really the solution to what's going on. So that's why I have no fear. And David Martin is entirely right. It might take us seven years. I think it may take a bit longer, maybe, maybe 10 or 20 years to really uh, build up the kind of societies that we want. But I think children born in the 2030s and afterwards um, will be much healthier, will be much stronger psychologically. Uh, They will not have to, you know, have the assault in the education system of lies and deception for their whole lives. And I think in a historical sense, 2020 and 2021 will be seen even in a thousand years time as the, the pivot from really a thousand years of lies and deception to, I think, going into a millennium of freedom and truth. So I have oh, great hope. We are I'm really, <laughs> we are really at a, at a pinnacle, at a turning point. And I know all of us who are really plugged into this ideation feel that Dolores, you know, people may not have been watching before, but they're watching now and, <laughs> and we're here, we're supporting you. Um, you bear a responsibility because of who you are and your knowledge, your expertise, your years of education and deep diving into the, I mean, you were, you were very modest in you when you described yourself at the beginning because I mean you could have we could have done half the interview on your accomplishments throughout your lifetime, um, but you come with such humility and you come as a sister, and I, I appreciate you immensely. I look forward to talking about solutions moving forward, how we can build, how we can create, and really look to those thriving communities. I speak for the children. You know, I'm a passionate mother. I get excited about that, but I'm also aware that we need to be awareness about where we're at and how we can be proactive in solving some of the biggest issues we we face today. So thank you for bridging that gap. And I know that instead of talking about the bridge that you're building it, Dolores, so may the thank force you. be with you. We'll, we'll be in touch. We'll be in touch. And I'd love to be involved in that uh, conference that you have as well. Thank you so Wonderful. much. God bless. God bless. Wow. As it is done, As it is said, we are free now and always in divine grace. We thank you, Dolores, for everything that you are doing. And I also like to thank Susan Sweden, Aung Sherry, Kevin Jenkins, Michelle from Dr. Tempini's office, because they helped me made it possible that you could finally read my email or my request so you could be with us. And we all love them too. Kevin has been with us. Sherry Tempton has been with us. And thank you for everything. And of course, to our audience, we apologize that we have to say goodbye temporarily. And they made sure that I say that because sometimes when we sign off, they're still waiting. They're still waiting. So we have to give um, Professor Dolores Kale a rest because, you know, she just finished from a podcast and now to us. And yes, please come back again. And for audience, please 
if you really are moved with what we shared and you need you know you need to be inspired and empower others all you have to do is share this okay so thank you and say and thank you also for the opportunity and thank you for uh you know spending time with me tonight it's an absolute pleasure thank you very much it's lovely take care everyone bye-bye thanks bye-bye you too it was a real pleasure thank you dolores thank you so thank much. you everyone bye-bye